Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Bailey Bookish Podcast. So a couple quick announcements before we get into this week's episodes on the Great Gatsby movie with Leonardo DiCaprio. So this Friday we will be having a Patreon exclusive episode about Lost in Austin and that'll be featuring Amanda Fay uh, who was with us for Pride and Prejudice and that's going to be a lot of fun. The next book we are going to be talking about is going to be Alice in Wonderland as well as Through the Looking Glass by Lewis Carroll. Uh, we, our special guest for that one is going to be Leah from YA Book Chat. And if you have not listened to YA Book Chat, please go listen to it. It is very, very good. I think a lot of you are really going to like it. So I highly recommend checking that podcast out if you haven't had the chance to do that yet. Also, we have a merch store. If you haven't had a chance to look at the merch store, please go check it out. Um, if you go to barelybookish.com slash connect, it has links to absolutely everything, including the merch store. Um, we have a poor Cthulhu shirt and tank top and sweaters, as well as logo shirts, tank top, sweaters, all that good stuff. But yeah, without further ado, let's get into the episode. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Barely Bookish podcast and today we are covering the 2013 Great Gatsby with Leonardo DiCaprio. I forgot to write down the director's name otherwise I would have just said that but Boz Lerman. There we go someone one of us is prepared. Do you want uh, to start that again? Boz Lerman? Boz Lerman yeah Lerman. the same guy who directed um, the Leo version of Romeo and Juliet and mm-hmm. Moulin Rouge. Honestly, you know what? I'm keeping that. There you go. <laughs> Which is important because the visuals are very similar. And if you've seen those other two movies, you will feel the Boz Lerman vibe in this one. I, which is one of my first notes. Really? Yeah, I have not seen anything else. Oh, we should introduce you. Jessica is back and joining us once again. Hi, everyone. <laughs> you know, a, a cold open is always a good opening, you know? I love it. I love like it. Like ice cream. Yeah. Cold, I mean, sweet. It's like you're right here with us, friendly listeners. Yeah, there you go. Who wants hot ice cream? Then you're just drinking milk. No, cold ice cream all the way. Cold, cold opener open. all the way. Like straight out of the freezer, cold open. Um, <laughs> That's us. We barely opened the door, to be honest. I we know. We came at the ice cream container with a spoon. Yep. No no bowls for us. Just straight nope. out of the gallon, watching a movie as if it's a rom-com and we just went through our first breakup, okay? That's how cold this open is. And somehow I feel like Gatsby would support that at mm-hmm. one of his parties. Absolutely. There's definitely people who are freezer ice cream aficionados. Gatsby has the the freezer stocked just for those people. And every time the ice cream gets a little melty, it goes in the freezer and another gallon comes out to replace it. There you go. I do want to watch now. I didn't even know Leonardo DiCaprio was in a Romeo and Juliet. So now I'm curious. Oh my gosh. Okay. So (laughs) let's have a side conversation here where I tell you that that was a transformative film for me as a youth. Um, so you definitely should watch it. Um, but yes, Boz Lerman did a um, Romeo and Juliet version. Um, and it stars Leonardo DiCaprio and Claire Danes. And it is a delight. 
um, a riotous delight of color and sound and everything else and has one of the best soundtracks ever. Um, and then he also directed Moulin Rouge um, with Heard Nicole that. Kidman and Ewan McGregor. So this style, as soon as the movie came on, I was like, oh, Art Deco Baz Luhrmann. I like it. I like it. Um, and as you go on through the movie, you see a lot of his touches. So like one thing that the Romeo and Juliet is very notable for is that there's some classic music, but it's mostly like popular. It's almost entirely popular music. So in this in this version, when they started playing hip hop, I was like, okay, feeling that, got that. Very Boz Lerman. I know. When Lana Del Rey came on, I was like, okay. <laughs> right? Sounds good, I guess. Like, Yeah, yeah. So it's a different feel. I know. I'm seeing a lot of like romanticized old timey movies now. Like I just watched Bridgerton, very romanticized of the era. Um Pride and Prejudice was, but then I saw, I think it was Sense and Sensibility, where it was not romanticized at all, and I was like, oh, your skirt is dirty. Huh. Yeah, is that the one where oh, we don't, we're going to delve down this rabbit hole, <laughs> It's okay. but I it's feel okay. like that's the one where there's like, you actually see farm animals and whatnot in their home. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was like, huh, weird. Alright, because, you know, 2005 Pride and Prejudice, everything like, they're poor, but like, everything's clean and beautiful, and then like Sense and Sensibility is like, oh no like we're dirty like things are dirty this is the 1800s things are kind of gross here and i was like yeah okay yeah that makes sense anyways 2013 great gatsby so my first note is that is the brightest light i've ever seen on the edge of someone's dock like it is shining and i'm like your neighbors must absolutely hate your guts it is certainly no yeah certainly no way that they could do anything but see that green light yeah and it just but, blinks incessantly i know and i'm like i guess it's for like boats and stuff so they don't hit your dock but like at one point did you have so many boats that were hitting your dock that you had to get the brightest light humanly possible like this feels like the people that they had gotten one like they got rear-ended once and then they switched their taillights to being the flashing ones that whenever they hit the brakes it looks like they're you know when you stamp a stomp on your brakes and it flashes and they do it just every single time they hit their brakes like what happened that you felt that that need it's it's definitely a choice it's definitely a choice and it's interesting because um i don't think in the movie at least i don't know if in real life but in the movie we definitely don't see any other docks that have a bright green flashing light so um and it's a it's an interesting choice for sure i blame tom buchanan yeah, and the fact that Tom's like, oh, I didn't even know we had that light. Like, is it not piercing your eyes at night? Because you <laughs> Well, know... it's going straight out into the water, so he probably can't see it at all. Well, when he was looking at it, there was a back light, too. So it looked like it was like a 360 light, because you can oh, still see true. that it was flashing. And I was like, it maybe the back's a little dimmer? I, don't... I mean, he's Tom Buchanan. Does he even notice anything but how like ruggedly handsome he is i mean honestly his entire so, life is just a series of mirrors so my literal first note for this watching this movie is wtf sanitarium because <laughs> the movie starts as a frame story of nick telling his story to a psychiatrist instead of mm -hmm. writing it and i was like ah telling the story to a psychiatrist instead of writing is a choice 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I get it. Nick's been through some things, but as soon as he's like basically pacing this therapist office, I was like, okay. Like, I mean, he didn't even do the whole like lay down on a cot. And he's like, my life has been strange kind of thing. I just feel like it's, it's, I, it almost takes away from the story. It took away from the story for me because I mean, Nick doesn't need that. Mm-hmm. It It's just as fine, like just as good for me as an enjoyer of it. If he's just writing this. Yeah. I did. I did like when it flashed over like what his chart said and it said morbidly alcoholic was his diagnosis. <laughs> <laughs> The only thing I noticed was that it said doctor's note and it just wrote as large as humanly possible Gatsby to take up the entire box. Oh my gosh, morbidly alcoholic. It, it just it said morbidly alcoholic. That was one of his diagnoses. And then it said, you know, anxiety or depression or whatever, but I just thought that was very um <laughs> it was a very hilarious like hilariously like specific mm-hmm. diagnosis and I mean it fit <laughs> yeah definitely um so yeah oh, so, so from funny. there then we finally get into him actually telling the story mm-hmm. but now he's gonna write it down I don't know I just it felt weird to me I was like I don't I'm not really sure why Boz thought that was necessary to frame it like that but okay yeah it's weird because it's if you when you read the book it seems like he's writing this story as a memoriam to Gatsby and to like tell everyone about his life whereas now they've shaped it that he's writing this story to cope with everything he went through exactly it gives it a different feel yeah yeah this book uh, the movie definitely takes a lot of things that happen and gives them a slight different twist which Mm -hmm. we're gonna get into a lot but yeah it's interesting so next we get to the scene with the cottage that he's staying in and like this place is supposed to be a rundown shack that everyone forgot about and this is the most beautiful and stunning cottage i've ever seen in my entire life it's adorable adorable the only rundown thing around it is that like the trees are overgrown that are around it so it it almost reminds you of you know like the gingerbread cottage in the forest kind yeah. of thing um and then he looks through his window and you can see the castle next door mm-hmm. um but yeah it definitely didn't look run down at all when i was reading little women this is the proximity i imagined that they were to each other the march family and mm-hmm. lori and then when i watched the 2019 he had to like trek back to his house and I was like, um, he's supposed to be able to like look inside their windows at night and see that they're all having a good time. And you're telling me that he somehow has binoculars by his bedside. Okay. I mean, for the Little Women's podcast, I wouldn't put it past Lori, but also, <laughs> I also didn't, but I will say with The Great Gatsby, when I was reading, I didn't envision that it was quite as close, that he could yeah. literally be standing in his window of his cottage and look up and Gatsby could make out his face you know Um, so that was an interesting choice but yeah I didn't think they were going to be that close and then watching the movie I was like oh 
He's like spitting distance to Gatsby's house, basically. He he could use a walkie-talkie. He could hang up a paper cup with a string in between two paper cups and talk to Gatsby. That's how close they are. It felt he doesn't like even the, have to call. Yeah, it felt like the Tampa houses where it's like you literally just kind of, you can't even lay in between the two houses. They're so close. Like Yeah, it felt like if, if he wanted to pass Gatsby a note, he could just like make a paper airplane and throw it over. That's how close the house was. Yeah. And then, it, then well, then you're watching it and you're going, hold on a second. Does this little cottage house belong to Gatsby's house? Yeah, that's what I started to think too, because it's like they say it's his gatehouse, basically. So who's the land, uh, not land, landlord, like who's the landlord of this house? Is it Gatsby? So we never hear anything about the house at all, except that he's paying $80 a month for it. Like, we don't know who the landlord is. Or are they illegally stealing this from Gatsby and just renting it out and hoping Gatsby doesn't mind? <laughs> I don't think it's the, I don't think it's that one. But the proximity in the movie leads you to believe that there, there is a lot more possibility. Yeah. I did think it kind of reminded me of okay so if you go near the beach um like really anywhere go any place that has a beach town or has like a coastal town um or you know even an island like this in in the northeast and you go right along the edge of the water it's really and now you see it a ton there'll be like these huge houses and then right next to it there's like this little teeny shack yeah and it's just that that part of land those those homeowners and that land those landowners won't give it up to get redeveloped into that huge mansion yeah um so that's kind of the vibe that i got when i saw it in the movie but i liked how it looked it didn't take me out of it i thought i actually thought it looked really cute yeah me too but they do say that it was an old guard house guard yeah but gatekeeper house or but like was it for gatsby's house or was it for another house like it doesn't really clear we don't know who the other neighbor is either. Right. Could be the next house over kind of thing. Dun, dun, dun. It's a possibility. That's okay. You know what? Another fan fiction idea. Tell me about the other neighbor on the other side of Gatsby or the other side of Nick. Tell me what they were like. <laughs> so my next note is Tom even looks like a dirtbag. Also, they made Tom and Nick have a history, which was really really strange to me whereas it was supposed to be daisy's his cousin and mm -hmm. she just happened to have married tom but apparently tom and him now went to school together which i think they might have touched on in the book but definitely you never got any impression in the book at least i didn't that these two had a buddy ship or they had yeah. like a little handshake or something that was weird i wrote down tom i still hate you mm-hmm <laughs> absolutely um but in that same section i was saying that the pace felt really frantic and then suddenly it just stops mm -hmm. boom and that's like to me very bos lerman in so in connection with the visuals which i think are incredibly detailed and like the highs the high colors the high contrast are really high and the lows are really really low mm -hmm. that just gives you a really frantic heightened feel um throughout the entire story and it, it makes you feel um almost in a way that like a hitchcock movie makes you feel like you're on edge the entire time mm -hmm. you're just frantic you're kind of jittery so that when it stops you're like Ooh, and it really throws you out yeah. so just interesting touches 
It does make the pace of the movie go very, very quickly. Until it isn't quick. Yeah. Until it suddenly stops and you're like, weird. Yeah, you're so. like thrown into it and then like, we're going to slow down for this important tidbit. Okay, back up, back up. And we're like... <laughs> but I did think... It, oh yeah, it is. I, I, did, I did like in that scene, like the inaccuracies aside about, you know, who knew who and whatever. I felt like our first glimpse of the characters... I was like, yeah, accurate. I got mm-hmm. that. I see that. Like Daisy looks how I would imagine she would look. Jordan looks like how I kind of like I would imagine her to look. Mm-hmm. Tom looks like I would imagine him to look, you know. Absolutely. Um, the setting, the vibe, it feels like how you would think of it. I mean, even Toby Maguire as Nick. Perfect. It, oh yeah. It just you feel it. So yeah, I really like Toby Maguire already. So him as Nick, I was like, yeah, that fits for me. Because mm-hmm. that was like right after 2013. I think that was right after Spider-Man, right? Yeah. Yeah. I put some. I put a note later when I was watching it, but I was just like, Toby Maguire is so damn bright-eyed as Nick. He is so bright-eyed. He is so earnest. He is so <laughs> taking in every single thing around him. And I kind of also like that he's kind of normal. Mm-hmm. like toby mcguire is attractive but like he just he's just kind of like he's not he's not super hot he's not super buff he's just kind of like a dude and i really like that um in a role like nick so yeah. i think he was a good choice he always he to me always looks like a best friend character not mm-hmm. like a love interest character which is fine but i i think it's funny when i look at toby mcguire because he just looks innocent and trusting and like i have to remember that he is a real person but like he's so typecasted into like these like good and you know happy-go-lucky kind of roles that like every time they're like oh and he has a girlfriend i'm like does he (laughs) not just like the best friend guy okay he seems like the kind of guy that you could like tell your stories to Mm -hmm. and I would trust him to walk my dog. Like he seems like a pretty normal guy. But I think as a in as a character in a book, especially one like Nick, who we want to see as that reader's friend, like we talked about at the beginning, mm-hmm. who tells us the story, who's there in the moment for us, we want to believe him. Tobey Maguire gives off a feeling of like I could believe this guy. Yeah, perfect. this is how he really saw it. So yeah, like I don't think he would ever lie to me, ever. <laughs> trust that man with my life um so we get introduced to jordan we get introduced to jordan and daisy and i'm gonna say it it looks like they were doing it like you caught them in the midst of because they got like that whole i don't know like ethereal drapes flying everywhere there's arms coming up off the couch and i'm like i i i see what you're saying that's not the interpretation that i had but I, you definitely get the feeling that they are very close and that they were having some sort of like flirty girl time type thing. Um, and you certainly get the feeling that like lines were blurred. I didn't necessarily think that they were like that in that moment they were in the act of anything. Um, mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that Boz wasn't trying to hint to us that that might exist. Yeah. Like I thought they at least had to be like making out or something. Like, And, you know, Boz could very well have been trying to tell us that. Yeah. Because, like, the way Toby McGuire's eyes just widen as he walks in there, like he walked in on something, I was like, 
they're definitely behaving in a way that is outside the realm of what quote unquote proper ladies probably do right even if all they're doing is laying around with their legs up giggling that's definitely like outside the realm of what proper ladies do so toby's uh or toby's nick having the like shocked wonderment on his face i yeah i think we all felt that i know and i do like all the drapes going around that was very cool but it was like a weird piece of cinematography for me a little bit because I was like why why are they why is this happening kind of thing I think they mentioned that in the book though I feel like when he first walked in the windows were open and the blinds were floating around I mean maybe not to that extent but one thing I will say as an overall of the movie is I got this feeling because everything is so heightened that it almost felt like a stage a stage musical version of this Mm. book so if this book was going to be put on stage as a musical, this is what you have. And so if in that case, if this was going to be a stage production, those wildly billowing drapes would be a perfect touch to yeah. indicate some, you know, like wild, some wildness, some freedom, um, some carefreeness. And then Tom walks in and closes everything. So yeah. it's like very symbolic of that shift. Um, so if you think of it like that, I think it makes a little bit more sense. But Yeah, true. That makes sense. And then the way Nick looks at Daisy a couple times throughout this movie, it was like very much crossing the line of cousin relationship. And I was like, like, I know they're distant, but like, are they that distant kind of thing? <laughs> I didn't, It's funny because like, I didn't get any feeling like he like, had any romantic feelings towards her I got the feeling that he was sort of looking at her almost the way that you might look at like a muse or the way that you might look at just like someone on the stage Mm -hmm. like otherworldly this person doesn't exist in the same world that I exist in they are beyond that that's kind of the feeling that I got so when he looks at her with like these wide eyes this excite these excited eyes it's like you live in a completely different world than I live in. Mm -hmm. Like you, you, do we breathe the same air, you know, because how could we and how, and you be the way that you are in the best possible way, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I think that he's kind of charmed by the way that she is and the way that she lives in the beginning. I will say it's probably that same similar argument though, where it's hard as a writer to describe really attractive people without putting it through the narrator's voice Mm -hmm. so it's kind of one of those things where it's like nick has to acknowledge these kinds of things but it kind of makes you question nick a little bit because like the same thing happens with harry potter where harry describes like all these men as hot so there's this whole headcanon that harry potter is bisexual um Mm -hmm. but of course you know jk rowling as a terrible author um (laughs) but as an author nonetheless has to describe people as being attractive so the reader understands what they look like kind of thing so i think that he definitely understands that she i mean first of all i don't think there's any doubt that nick as a character is at minimum bisexual Mm -hmm. if not some if if not somewhere else on the spectrum of sexuality like he is for he's for sure not scared to um to appreciate people and whatever their form is Mm -hmm. and i think that shows throughout the book and several like situations that he's in um 
but I, so I don't think it's, you know, like he talks about how attractive Tom is. He talks about how attractive Daisy is. And I, but I, I do think he's also very much like charmed is, you know, um, surprised, but in a good way, sort of how Daisy actually is and like how she goes about the way she talks, the way that she acts, um, her manner, her mannerisms. These are things that he, he thinks are really interesting to mm-hmm. her. Um, and so I think that's what it is, but I, I've, I didn't really get the feeling that he like was romantically attracted to her. Yeah. I mean, I definitely didn't get the feeling he was romantically attracted to Jordan at all. So, <laughs> Not in the movie, but in the book, I didn't think that, but in the movie, when they like have him like look at her this way, I was like, uh, weird, but okay. Mm-hmm. Hell no. <laughs> So then, you know, we get the clarification that we were pulling no punches in this movie. Tom is still an extreme racist, which I'm glad they didn't change that. Like, I was worried because I hadn't seen this full movie. that They were going to try and make us like Tom Buchanan. And I am so thankful that they were like, no, this is the character he is. He is an extreme racist. Tom, I still hate you. It stands. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. And there's a point where he's like, "What? Are, what's going to happen next? We're going to be in... Um, white people are going to marry black people and i was like oh my gosh like oh which that comes directly from the book yeah i know so and you're just like oh okay you pulled all the best quotes buzz you really want no no one to have thought okay well he's a little cute so maybe i like nope no still bad guy Mm -mm. nope Mm -mm. he's the only villain that i don't care if they get a redemption arc because i hate him he looks like the kind of guy who uses his cane to hit the servants, quote unquote. Yes. Like he just, he's not no. trash bag of a human. So then the telephone rings. Yeah. Then the telephone rings. Uh, <laughs> and everyone's like, it was so much louder in this movie just to fully draw your attention to it. And I love it. I love it so much. Yeah. They played up that to the tension of the telephone ring. Mm-hmm. That was definitely a Chekhov's gun sort of situation. Like they played up every element of that telephone ringing. This telephone like followed them around places too. Like how long was the cord? Because it felt <laughs> like it was everywhere Tom needed it to be. Like it was outside when they were golfing, you know, like are they having to unplug the telephone, replug it in? Do they have outside telephone lines? I mean, probably all of the above, but... I wouldn't be surprised if there was just a ridiculously long cord because in a lot of houses when they recorded telephones there were really 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 long cords yeah i remember growing up my grandparents would not switch to a normal landline so they still they both had a rotary phone Mm -hmm. and a corded house phone and my grandmother would not switch no matter how much we told her that like her cell, her um, home phone is just has the worst quality. So she, cause she liked to hold it and then walk mm-hmm. around and never lose it. Yeah. But it was, it was just funny. So like, <laughs> I don't know. I'm like trying to figure out how much of this phone is available. I, I didn't even notice that they were different colors to be honest, to see if they were like different phones. Yeah, I mean, but but honestly, like, I wouldn't be surprised if there was one that was that if they had a cord that was long enough to reach into a different room or outside. Um, And if they had people whose entire purpose was to help him with the phone, then those people could also wrangle that cord. 
I'm just having very specific visuals of like 80s movies where the teenage girl has like the puffy rotary phone and she's like carrying it by the what is that called the receiver that's not right <laughs> yes I know what you're talking about yeah yes. carrying it with one hand and then she's uh-huh. walking around her room so everywhere. yeah welcome to my middle school <laughs> I know. I, thanks, we didn't for have... call, thanks for calling out my youth. I appreciate <laughs> it. The only rotary phone we had was at my grandparents' house. And I always remember people being like, because my I was the age of Firefly phones, okay, in middle school. So people would be like, I bet you don't even know how to use a rotary phone. And I'm like, actually, I do. I know how to use a rotary phone. Like, do you know what a leapfrog is, Karen? I don't think you do. <laughs> I was very proud of my uh, ability to call out the fact that I knew how to use a rotary phone. So I love it. I get the feeling that Daisy would be happy if nobody knew how to use a damn phone because she's tired of that phone, Um, which we see why minutes later. Yep. I I bet (laughs) Daisy has thrown like six phones into the um, river. Mm-hmm. They probably have a storeroom in their house that's just full of spare copies of that phone. I bet for Daisy and her to do wiring and just cuts the phone wires every so often. I don't even know if she cares that much, but can't you see her just in a tantrum, just picking it up and throwing it across the room, and then some poor butler like going over, sweeping up the pieces, going over to a like a pantry opening it up and there's just 15 of the same phone like on the shelves just picking one up and taking it back <laughs> I can Tommy totally Cannon see that was the first person to ever have Amazon reorder but it was just for rotary phones <laughs> Tom Buchanan called the phone company and he's like I'm going to need 20 of those old sport <laughs> old same sport? model has to have the same ring because I like it that way the, the piercing ring of that wonderful rotary phone just to make us all a little sad. So then we get to the point where the therapist is the one who told Nick that he needed to write this all out, which is a choice. It's a choice. And then the next note I have is the fact that the train didn't even stop when Tom Buchanan and Nick were going um over to go see Merle like they yell at them for getting off the train yeah it's that's one of those times when it just feels like if this was a stage play mm-hmm. um, and especially with the colors and when you get first get the visual of um, what the like city of ashes looks like and you're just mm-hmm. like wow could it be any more um dirty just cinematographically cinematographically you know created mm-hmm. of what this looks like it could this set be built anymore yeah. um to heighten every single thing that is horrible about this place um so yeah i just i okay i went to london once and honestly this is not a diss on london at all but all I can think of the fact is I was not used to smog because I'd never lived in a big city. So mm-hmm. a bunch of our friends got sick because we all lived in a small city uh, from the smog. And like I had sneezed once and black came out. And I was like, mm-hmm. I'm just imagining these people who are living in the city all the time, like their lungs had to be coated. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Tar, not tar, ash. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Oh, <laughs> 
Oh, and then, okay, so, you know, Tom picks up Merle and he's like, leave right now. She's like, right now. And he's like, right now. And they all leave and go to the apartment with the cutest dog I've ever seen. Oh my gosh, I wrote down cute puppy, awkward situation. Yeah, they did not hint at the fact of Merle and Tom having sex. They were like, here, this is what's happening, making sounds, everything. Literally, yes. And then Toppy Cannon says that to Nick, he goes, well, I know you like to watch. What situation were they in that this came up? Because apparently... Tom acts as if this is a fact that the two of them have experienced together previously. Well, and that goes back to that weird situation where it seems like in this version, Mm -hmm. Tom and Nick have some college history. Mm -hmm. Um, So in that case, I I I don't know. But I will say that nothing about the way that Nick reacted to being in that situation led me to believe he was interested in participating. No. He looked and uncomfortable. Then, and then right as he tries to escape, it's like, it gets weirder. Yeah. Nick did not consent to being there for that at all. Uh, yeah. I don't think that Nick signed up for an orgy, which is exactly mm-hmm. what it looked like to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I felt like they made a really big deal about playing up the awkward sexual energy in the room, especially in regards to McKee, the photographer. I think that was even weirder mm-hmm. in that situation. Yeah, because they made McKee like interested in all of everybody, but they didn't have a Nick McKee situation. No, they didn't have an explicit one like in yeah. the book. Yeah. But it was just it just looked like everybody was just like going wild. And uh I mean Nick, quote unquote, our morbidly alcoholic uh mm-hmm. friend. Only the second time he's ever gotten drunk gets himself, like, finds himself in this situation. Like, part of it is just, it's wild. And part of it's also like, wow, like, this is a dangerous situation that he got put in. Mm -hmm. And it's not, it's not one that I feel like he really, in his right mind, would have consented to be part of. And so it's just, it's like, it makes it even more, um, I don't know. It just, it makes it even more uncomfortable than it was in the book. Mm-hmm. And the Catherine forcibly slipped him drugs too. Yeah. Like people are drink- drugging him. He's drinking too much. People are mm-hmm. like doing heaven knows what to him. Like, did he consent to those acts that he was partaking in? We don't know. It's just, it's really, um, it's just a really strange situation. And it, it like in the book, you can kind of, I feel like you can kind of separate out a little bit more because you know you think well he's you know he's drinking of his own accord he's talking to people of his own accord Mm -hmm. but in the movie it seems like his accord is completely removed Mm -hmm. and so then he's involved in this crazy situation and and who knows whatever and then there's that myrtle gets slapped across the face by tom like the world's worst person Mm -hmm. and then the next thing you know he's wait, he's waking up on a park bench or the train bench and you're oh no no he's in at his the, house he's at his house on yeah. his own porch swing like mm-hmm. it's just so there's a lot to unpack there and it certainly seems like there there's certainly a lot more ambiguity in regards to choice mm-hmm. as in regards to consent um 
than I think even is in the book. So that's yeah. it kind of, you know, you know, I didn't like Tom before kind of makes me hate him even more mm-hmm. that he put yeah. our sweet, our sweet Nick in this situation. Our sweet, innocent boy. I know. The thing too is in the book, it's like he keeps trying to get out of it and he gets talked into this. He didn't even get an option. Like mm-hmm. they very much were like, you're staying no if, ands or buts, but mm-hmm. you're staying. Yeah. They completely take away, not just Tom, but a bunch of people take away Nick's um, agency. Agency. Thank you. Yeah. Just throughout the whole book. And I just feel so bad for Nick. I feel like throughout the book. Yeah. And in the movie, it's even more glaring just how often his, his personal opinions on something, his feelings, his choice is neglected. Mm -hmm. His safety whatever like i mean tom starts the entire thing by saying like you're not going to work today what yeah Yeah. you're not only you're not going to work but you're going to come be a party to me hanging out with my mistress and now you're going to be in a weird orgy that involves my mistress and like some neighbors and whatever else like where we're going to drug you to partake in that like that's really really super disturbing Mm -hmm. and um you know i i don't know Uh, just super 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 disturbing and in the movie i think considerably even more triggering and disturbing than it was in the book Mm -hmm. um so then you know it's not it's not a wonder that he doesn't hang out with those people again and then when you see the next day and or you know the next scene in the movie and he's basically going to a party at gatsby's house where he was actually asked to be there it's just like so weird Mm-hmm. once again another opulent crush of people like it's just exhausting to watch this world happen yeah um, i'm kind of thinking now what do you think happened to the dog after merle died oh my god uh i, I, Butler I try not to think about it i literally try not to think about it because that is the thought that comes in my head too i think of that sweet little dog like what even happened when she wasn't there who watches this dog yeah, it seems like they have a lot of servants, though. So I'm assuming they have like a housekeeper or something. But at that, at that makeout no shack? Yeah, but like no one, think about it. When they showed up, the house was clean. There was liquor already there. They didn't have to buy anything for it. Someone's got to be taking care of that place. I don't know. I just, I don't want to think about the dog yeah yeah and i don't want to think about it too much either because i'm gonna get sad i'm now thinking about nick being like assaulted and i just really can't think of the dog too i know right now (sighs) i know there's a lot to work through a lot to process i just little off base but i just read Addie larue and it kind of gave me an Mm -hmm. existential crisis a little yeah i read that book too Mm -hmm. very good but like at the end i'm like well, throughout the entire book i'm starting to like panic a little bit about my life because henry starts like counting down and i'm like i can't think about that because i'm gonna panic yeah too much anxiety yep um so yeah moving on to the next scene yeah we're at this party <laughs> no one can drive every single standing space of this party is full and i was like watching it and i was like pre rona would i have liked something like this or would i have been a like an anxious mess throughout this entire thing it's like i enjoyed going out i enjoyed partying but 
there's no standing space. Like people are bumping into each other trying to walk. I can confirm to you that I would have hated everything about that. Um, The crush of people, like I was just exhausted watching it. Um, I did think it was adorable that Nick keeps trying to show his invitation to literally everyone he goes to. Like, he's like, do you know Gatsby? Look at my invitation. I was invited. Do you know? I was invited. How about, how, look, I just want to prove that I'm supposed to be here. I was invited. And yeah. it's just so, um, it's just, it's so bright eyed. It's so like, just ridiculous. Um, so then when we first see Gatsby, all right. I wrote this note and I, I wanted just briefly, we don't have to talk about too long, but I want to delve into the alternate history wherein Jack from Titanic becomes Jay Gatsby. Discuss. I've seen this. I've, okay, <laughs> I've seen this theory before and I love it. I do love it because I, okay, it's been a really long time. I've only seen some parts of the Titanic. I haven't watched the whole thing. So like the ship sinks in the end yeah 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 i got i got that part i got that part i did watch the supernatural episode where the titanic never sank you know because um what's his name hated the movie uh so i love that theory because you know what makes sense Mm -hmm. easy same situation yeah i just as soon as i saw him and you know he's got it was, I mean, of course it's Leonardo DiCaprio and he's just this like little golden statue himself. And he's the first thing you see of him is him raising his glass. And I just thought to myself, oh my God, what if Jack survived? What if he got in another boat and made it to America and became Jay Gatsby? I mean, here we are. It fits the timeline. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> that, but yeah photo-esque moment of the fireworks with the glass up would be my Facebook profile photo if I was Leonardo DiCaprio for 20 years. I'm not going to lie to you. That is iconic. Beautiful. He could be full gray. Like he could be, you know, 70. He should still Mm -hmm. use that. You know, like Tinder profiles when people just, you know, use old photos of themselves when they Mm -hmm. get like when you're like dating in your 30s and they're using photos from like when they were 25. Mm-hmm. Same moment, same moment for Gatsby. <laughs> if Gatsby had a dating profile, it would be that forever. Forever. I mean, there's another great, great photo of him that would come later, but but we'll discuss when we get there. Also, the fact that this movie is not trying to hide that he's in the mob at all by zooming in on everyone's rings. I was like, what is the ring supposed to symbolize except that we're guessing they're all part of an organization? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And then the next, like, I mean, and then it it kind of plays that up even more when you move on to right after the party, the next big scene with Gatsby is him taking Nick um, in his horribly driven car my god what yeah. that driving was like terrifying <laughs> terrifying um taking him to like a barbershop slash speakeasy mm-hmm. what i know that he took him to lunch in the book but i i guess i wasn't reading barbershop speakeasy me with, either with strippers dancing and singing at the same time um yeah but i i think also that you know that might be sort of a Moulin Rouge reference. So, um, I need to watch also that. interesting that of all these places, 
um, this barbershop speakeasy that they had to like go inside and pretend they were going to get shaved or whatever to get in through a back door. How is Tom also there? Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. I don't understand how he's there. Did Tom just, does he have mob dealings? How, Mm -hmm. how is he getting into the speakeasy? Yeah, because it made sense in the book if he's just like at a restaurant or like, even if it's a nice restaurant, even if it's a private club, Mm -hmm. if he was there, it kind of, but just the way that they set up the speakeasy aspect of it, um, I think definitely opens up more cans of worms because everyone that was there was gatsby the commissioner of the um the chief of police i guess Mm -hmm. the governor like Mm -hmm. all the people who have mob ties were there and then wolfsheim and then somehow tom buchanan well yeah and because in the book wherever they went what didn't jordan show up there too so there's no way she's going to show up at this like no it was right after oh okay yeah she was yeah it still was weird it was still was really weird and how they how they framed it in the book definitely made you feel like tom had some of these illicit connections as well more so than the uh, or sorry in the movie made you feel like it more so than in the book Mm -hmm. in my opinion no definitely i was like oh okay like in the book i was like oh he's kind of like this weird kind of job i don't know what it is though but the movie was like he's a mobster right off the bat here's all you need to know so then real casually they switch to oh yeah by the way jordan um is gonna talk to gatsby and yo what she wants is uh, or what gatsby wants is for nick to ask daisy to hang out mm-hmm. and like nick not even being able to keep his cool when he talks to jordan like, I did not really get that as much. Like, I thought, you know, he's kind of confused and he asked her. But when everybody present, Nick's like, what do you have to hide from me? Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah, it was so strange. Because yeah. you just didn't get the feeling that they even had that much connection at all. Yeah. They, I don't know if in the book, I mean, in the book, he kind of talks about like they went on some dates or whatever. But mm-hmm. in the movie, I I didn't get any kind of romantic connection i got like they were buddies Mm -hmm. yeah they definitely did not i'm glad they didn't do that because i thought jordan and nick was always a weird kind of thing and i didn't think it needed to be explored in the movie it's not the main storyline it doesn't matter Mm -mm. and then gatsby trying to pretend to be as cool as a cat waiting for nick to get back is literally my favorite thing so funny um i wrote here like oh my god so many flowers everything is so extreme like so when they he finally goes over there to set up for the the tea party or whatever it's just like he fills nick's entire cottage with flowers Mm -hmm. there's like 16 cakes and then he and then he's standing around trying like like you said like trying to look like he's cool but then decides at the last minute he's going to go stand outside in the rain. So he ends up walking in disheveled, looking like yep. a wet cat. He also redid the entire lawn. <laughs> yes. Like, what? It's cool. He spent all this time to try to make everything look perfect and then literally went outside, got himself soaked when he's wearing like flannel. So he's wearing White. like, like white flannel. He goes outside, gets himself soaked. And I just wrote here. Gatsby looks so angry and then in a flip of a switch looks completely exposed and so awkward and I'm just like thank you Leonardo DiCaprio for your face for this moment because he managed without saying anything to just like convey every single one of those emotions Mm -hmm. as he stood in a wetsuit (laughs) 
And I love that, like, in our next scene of them being awkward, the suit's completely dry and his hair slicked back again. I just think it's so funny. Yes. With the clock. Yeah. (laughs) He literally, like, can't touch anything without breaking it. He's just so nervous. So funny. Um, And then them playing up the fact that Nick is, like, Okay, I gotta go to town. Bye. And <laughs> Gatsby's like, don't, don't go. No, don't go. And he, Nick's like, I'm going. Like, just be nice. She's nervous. And Gatsby's like, wait, she's nervous? She's nervous? Yeah. I'm Nick's nervous. like, don't be a jerk, man. Go back in there and talk to her. Which is, so yeah. Funny. Um, I then wrote, um, since when does Nick have such a glorious beach view? Yeah, <laughs> literally. They, they look outside his back his like back door and it's just like oh my god he has this beautiful beach view from his backyard which i didn't see and yeah. i didn't imagine it in the book and then you look over and sure enough gatsby's house is just so close by um yeah. i just thought that was just really convenient <laughs> the shack for 80 bucks a month keeps getting better and better i like, know honestly at this point i might move to long island and live <laughs> next to a rich mysterious man with a vague history with possible mobster ties like whatever I mean, he had like this beautiful little cottage right now and what does he need the big house for he's best friends with the guy that owns it he can just go hang out whenever he wants and he yeah. doesn't have to pay for the upkeep seaplane sounds great seaplane right so suddenly when they go over to talk to Gatsby's house and they go inside and like there's a complete costume change yes I was just gonna say that <laughs> what why did he just have clothes her size just ready <laughs> just hanging out I don't know but I loved what Leonardo DiCaprio put on and I wrote legit though when has Leonardo DiCaprio ever been more handsome because yes. he looked like perfect golden you know i mean you see him on a yacht like a perfect golden boy mm-hmm. in that new outfit they had on where he looked casual but put together and i was like this is the gatsby that he's always wanted to be yeah he this looks guy like old right money, here right there yeah like and like this like he pulled out all the stops for mm-hmm. when daisy came by like this is what he always wanted to be this is the guy and Absolutely. he had to be that like heightened version of the guy for so long um to get to the point where he could be the guy mm-hmm. and it's like um that's a moment where i feel like the cinematography choices and the costumes and the set stuff like really comes together in the movie to tell the story so i liked that yeah me too and then my next note is I've literally never seen wealth like this in my life. Um, <laughs> and then I just, okay. It's kind of obvious in the book that Gatsby's a bit of a stalker, but when he pulls out the scrapbook and he's like, every time I saw an article of you, I put it in the scrapbook state every note. I was like, Oh no, that's scary. I feel like anybody but Daisy would think that was super creepy, but she seemed to think it was very charming in the yeah. movie. Um, I was like, red so. flag. I I think Daisy, though, in the movie, they play her as someone who wants to be the object of that affection. Yeah. And she's not the object of that affection to Tom. True. Because, so, um, be like, I think everybody else is kind of like, he literally has a thick scrapbook about you 
That was okay. like scrapbook like number nine too. We don't even know it was in the other ones. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Hmm. So, and then he gets that weird phone call and mm-hmm. then the phone's ringing again and you can see her face like, oh God. <laughs> I yeah. think hearing the phone is horrible. Um, but then, so the next thing that I noted was that the next scene they go, like it's the first time that um, they go to one of Gatsby's parties and I wrote oh, down- I have a note before that really quick. Oh. Just one thing before we switch yeah, scenes. yeah, yeah. yeah. The when he talks about Dan Cody, he says that the fortune was stolen from him by a family member instead of Ella Kay. Oh yes, like, that's weird. Why would they change that? I just thought it was interesting. Yeah, I mean, was she married to Dan Cody? No, it was his mistress. Aha! <laughs> so yeah, that is an interesting choice. And why? Like, what difference yeah. would it make to say his mm-hmm. mistress or to say? some random person that he knew whatever i don't know oh, it's a weird specific change but sorry i had to do that before we shift no the that's next okay. to yours no i was gonna say the next scene is when they go to the his party for the first time and i wrote i have two notes my first note is tom's back still hate him <laughs> my second note is daisy seems less disgusted with the party than she did in the book because mm-hmm. like in the book it was almost immediate that she it seemed like she didn't like it she thought mm-hmm. it was flashy blah, blah blah there was like all these things she didn't like about the party yeah but in the movie she was looking around she thought she loved the pool she loved the music she loved the you know ice sculptures i don't know like every single thing she thought it was mm-hmm. very charming and she enjoyed it and so i i think that was an interesting choice because yeah. one of the reasons that gatsby kind of stops throwing the parties in the book is because he thinks Daisy doesn't like them yeah I wonder why they well one they changed that but two I don't understand why Daisy wouldn't like the parties she seems like someone who would have enjoyed that but maybe it was just just too much extravagance like I think she's like a person that would flash their money but not to the extent that Gatsby does because it's kind of at a point where it's no longer classy yeah, I think it I think it has to do with like, okay, so if they're flashing their extravagance, but it's like a fancy sit down dinner party and there's rules and there's etiquette and there's um, a way things are done, quote unquote, I think mm-hmm. that's different than like, in the book, the way that his things are described as like a free for all. Yeah. And so it might just be that it just doesn't sit with her what she's used to or what she likes mm-hmm. or whatever but you don't get that feeling at least i didn't at all in the, the movie yeah same um and then all of a sudden they're like talking in nick's garden because nick has a garden now yeah yeah <laughs> his house keeps getting bigger and bigger with every scene like his shack yeah. is what i thought was like a studio shack situation is now has an immense garden and an ocean view so there's that and as they're talking, Tom goes and flirts with the movie star. And yet is so concerned that Daisy's not right next to him. Yeah. What, is she supposed to bear witness to him flirting? I don't understand. <laughs> and then Gatsby, when he's kissing all up on Daisy, I was not super sure that she was into it in the movie. Yeah, I got that feeling too. Yeah, she looks like a little uncomfy. And then he's like, it's time to tell Tom. And I'm like, oh. Mm-hmm she's like no it's not (laughs) and then when she goes away i thought that's when he has like a really interesting exchange with um with uh nick and Mm -hmm. 
Nick's like, you can't repeat the past. And Gatsby just has this face. Leo as Gatsby has this face. It's just like, no, like, like, hell no, you can't repeat the past. Of course I can repeat the past. Yeah. And I will repeat the past. Like, <laughs> I will double down and the past will be repeated. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just like, I, I feel that, I, I don't know, I people will argue with me, I'm sure. But I just, I really feel like Leonardo DiCaprio as an actor is a great choice mm-hmm. for this character because he manages to have the extreme control that Gatsby has on such a tight leash that also when he switches to momentary lapses of that control, it's so shocking and so strong and his face is so expressive um in different ways like it's just i feel like he is an ideal actor to pull off the nuance that is hard to get off of the page yeah he's the perfect choice or it's like when you when you ask you're like oh which one do you want to watch i was like leonardo caprio like (laughs) eventually i'll watch the other one but like leonardo is such an amazing actor in everything he does that i could not wait to watch him in the great gatsby just to see what he was going to be like i mean as a side note for listeners i really like i i really think that robert redford is also just like he plays gatsby in the other version Mm -hmm. and he is like so hot and such a good actor and he also really embodies Gatsby in his own way and in his own time period um but I would say like for for us and as you know in our contemporary mindset and who we think of as like contemporary actors who could potentially be called forth to play this part Mm -hmm. I can't think of anybody else who would really do it the justice that Leonardo DiCaprio did. Um, But for his time, like in the time period that the, um, the Robert Redford version was made, like he is, he's a stone Fox. Like, let's be, let's be fair here. He's amazing. Um, So. And then according to the movie, Daisy and um, Gatsby actually had like a plan to leave Tom. Whereas in the book, it seemed very, it didn't really seem planned. Like yeah, to it me seemed, at least it seemed planned in Gatsby's head, but you never got the feeling that Daisy was necessarily in on the plan. Yeah, yeah, and then then because of that, the suggestion to go to town was a panic response, which I liked because it seemed very random in the book. I was like, "Huh, why would they just suddenly go to town? It doesn't seem like it's going to be cooler when you're surrounded by skyscrapers." Mm-hmm. So I think the idea that that was like a panic answer, we need to be out of this room and moving. And I think that's such a good example of, in the book, it felt very panicked, but like because of this Baz Luhrmann cinematography, like this whole vibe that he had going, that scene is a perfect example of it being so heightened and so frantic and so mm-hmm. fast paced that like when something, it's almost like a cold water was thrown on it. Mm -hmm. um and you can feel the tension and you can feel it in that crazy car ride to the plaza you can feel it you can feel it when the you just see leo like trying to flick the lighter for daisy like every time he's trying to flick it and it won't go like you're just i mean you can feel the tension Mm -hmm. in it and it's very it's just so heightened it's another reason that i feel like this is a stage treatment of Mm -hmm. this 
story because something like that would be so overly heightened. Um, you would have to have it overly heightened to be read from a distance. Mm-hmm. Um, so for sure. For and sure. then so they all travel and the fact that they all could have rode in Gatsby's car and didn't <laughs> like there yeah. was plenty of seats. Yeah. But instead they choose to race for some reason um, to get there. And then. Which every single person in this movie and and this story doesn't know how to drive. Literally every single one of them is the worst driver ever. And then my next note is that they're really forcing Daisy to do a lot in this movie. Like it was bad in the book, but Mm. it's even worse in this movie. Like they are fully twisting her hand on every situation absolutely they are really twisting her hand it's the same thing with um with nick and it's possible that in the book they're doing it just as much but since you're not seeing it you don't see it as extreme Mm -hmm. but they really are like when tom and gatsby are both just like playing on her emotions and then you see that one moment where gatsby kind of just like loses it because Tom pokes at the one thing about him that he is uncomfortable about Mm -hmm. which is the fact that he isn't he's isn't old money and his new money came from the mob yeah and Gatsby just loses it and he realizes that the one thing he desperately wants and like why he needs this I don't know and I we talked about this when we talked about the book but like why he needs Daisy to say that she absolutely not even for one second of her entire life loved Tom is like if he could if he could be flexible on that one thing you know mm-hmm. that that's the like re- rewriting the past repeating the past thing that mm-hmm. he can't get over with nick in the conversation like if he could literally let that one thing go she would go with him yeah at least that's what it leads you to believe is like she would divorce tom and go with him because now he can provide for her and all that stuff mm-hmm. but he's like not gonna accept it unless she says never not even for one second did yeah he, did she ever love him and like that's just not going to happen I, I really think it's because he was never wavering in his commitment to her and he feels like she wavered that he needs her to say that she never wavered because he didn't. Yeah. I mean, but that does speak to like the idea that Gatsby is in love, obsessed, whatever mm-hmm. with, with a Daisy that doesn't exist. Yeah, for sure. Without like, a doubt sure he spent five years doing nothing but pining for her but in five years well first of all how well did he know her before those five years right like we talked about some this in the book but in the movie it was just like it was so intense like he does he cannot even like fathom it being okay that even for like a minute during those five years when she's trying to get over the fact that he wrote her and said i can't marry you yeah right or some like indication thereof something that led her to believe that 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 dream that she might have shared with him is over and that she has to marry tom Mm -hmm. um like not even for one minute in those five years when she was trying to make a life that she could love tom and for him to be okay with her so like now she's completely and you see it in the movie you see on her face it's like well i can't do that i can't have this one and i might have lost this one too like what what am i supposed to do here 
Yeah, I really think that Jay-Z's just trying to have a happy, easy life. And every single person in her life that she's in love with is trying to make sure that that's not the case. Mm-hmm. I feel bad for Daisy. And I think she's in love with, in love, quote unquote, or feels love or whatever for different characters in the book for different reasons and different things that they provide for her. Because like, I feel like, you know, she has a certain like familiar friendship love for Nick. She has a love for Tom, maybe for the life that they have or whatever together, but she certainly is not in love with Tom. Yeah. She has a love for Gatsby that is, she's always had, but I don't know. I mean, is she willing to give up all the things that she has in her life now to express that? I don't know, but I just feel like the actors in that one scene, they managed to convey all of that in a really strong Mm -hmm. way. Um, So when they get in the car and start driving crazy again, you're like, oh, no wonder. (laughs) Yeah. And then my other note was the fact that when they get in the car, they hit Myrtle. That first of all, that visual of them hitting Myrtle was really, really good. But the next note I have is they don't even cover the body up right away. Like we don't know the time between Tom leaving and Gatsby having hit her. Uh, Or not Gatsby, but uh, Gatsby's car. Yeah, Gatsby's car having hit uh having hit myrtle but it's not right away like tom doesn't leave as soon as they leave they're they seem to kind of pick things up and then go and they don't cover myrtle's body until tom's already like getting there in the room and it's already flooded because they just laid the sheet over her body yeah i think in the book they kind of touched on that it seemed like it was kind of a circus Mm -hmm. um but yeah that was definitely weird like there were just and the feeling of it it's it's again everything in the movie is a shade of the book and more heightened mm-hmm. so i mean like even watching her thr- fly through the air and like seeing like you can see the lacerations which they talk about in the book exactly what the lacerations are that's what you see mm-hmm. um like across her chest and all this stuff and like then her underneath like when tom actually sees her like it's just like the book in those ways only heightened and then you see the you see what we only find out later in the book of tom having the conversation with wilson where he tells him like oh yeah totally it was that gatsby guy yeah but he also makes it sound like in that conversation like oh you better go get him because Mm -hmm. it's like that you just can't trust him yeah, he says he's yeah. like a crook and all this stuff. He like hypes up Wilson. Like Wilson mm-hmm. was just kind of sad in that moment. But I guess they didn't want to take the screen time to do that whole Wilson going mad thing, which is fine. But I mean, Wilson was already mad in that moment, though. He's like, yeah. well, remember in the book, Wilson is already kind of like gone a little bit crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's kind of gone a little bit crazy here already. Yeah. But even before when they first make the stop earlier in the day and Wilson like in the book they say he like looks kind of green or whatever and he's talking about how they have to leave town so he's already kind of losing his mind yeah yeah I thought that the guy as a side note I thought the guy that played Wilson looked a lot like Paul Newman so if you don't know what I'm thinking about I want you to look later at Cool Hand Luke and look at the guy who's the lead in it I was like, is this his grandson? I don't think they're related, but he had just like such a vibe of, um, of 
Paul Newman. And yeah. I, was, I was like, all right. You know that movie where they talk about like kids taking their vitamins and it's basically an animated movie and it's like this vitamin becomes like a fighter in your body. Do you know what movie I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He looks like the guy that was sick to me. <laughs> that actor. And I can't remember the actor's name. But he's like a big know. actor. <laughs> it might be it might be Paul Newman. We'll it look it up. Be. Yeah. Anyway. We'll have to look it up later. Anyways, um, so after all that, they go back home. They're like, Nick, why don't you come inside? And he's like, I'm done with all of you. I can't deal with you guys anymore. Um, so Nick's waiting outside. Gatsby's in the bushes. They argue so loud that Tom pops his head out for a second to see what's happening. Um, or or was it um was it a servant or something like a butler if somebody oh, popped was, their head out yeah i thought it was tom but i might be wrong i mean it might be but yeah <laughs> i was watching on an ipad what can i say oh. <laughs> yeah. then um after all that happens they go back home it's the next morning gatsby's trying well it's not even the next morning it's basically in the middle of the night it's like 4 a.m gatsby's trying to clean the blood off of his car which Whatever. is completely like yeah like the whole the whole car is completely messed up so if anybody yeah. sees this they're going to know yeah they already said it's a yellow car you basically should just kind of like pull the whole fender off throw it away get um, some spray paint yeah get some spray <laughs> paint start painting your car you had a yellow car it's now a baby blue car okay like um yeah and then you know we get the entire scene of gatsby dying which i so the choices mm -hmm. cinematography i really cinematographically i can't get that word out right i really liked the choices that they made i thought it was very heightened to have gatsby waiting for the phone call looking out at the green light and like on the edge of the pool and then tear you know juxtaposed with the picture of Daisy like is she gonna call or is she not mm -hmm. gonna call and then have the phone ring and have the butler be like oh he's been he'll be so happy to have heard from you and have that be the last thing he hears because that gives the feeling that the last thought he had was that Daisy loved him and called mm -hmm. but then in the movie you realize it was actually Nick calling so I thought oh. as far as the movie goes that was really cool mm -hmm. but as we know in the book that's not quite what happens yeah um so that was just like it was a choice mm -hmm. it was an interesting choice but it was a choice <laughs> yeah nick being on the other line of the phone as the gunshot rings out i was like oh man but i mean at, at the end like then you have to think okay but is that more dramatic or less dramatic than nick literally being on the like stairs on the way to the pool yeah. when the gunshots ring out so i mean six one way half dozen the other either way he is a front row witness to mm -hmm. the death of this person who he feels a great affinity to yeah yeah so then we get gatsby's funeral well pre-funeral but like for some reason his pre-funeral they've still got like the cast open casket out photographers <laughs> are everywhere the funeral hasn't scandal. started yet and yeah. they're like and then the father doesn't show up so absolutely no one's in there which mm -hmm. i don't mind that the father's not there it's a choice but it's like it makes it even sadder that absolutely no one showed up yeah and it's just like everything about it's just it's just a tabloid scandal mm -hmm. that's what it's about 
after all he's done in his life, that's what Gatsby is. He's a tabloid scandal. Yeah. Yeah. And that is the 2013 Great Gatsby movie. <laughs> it is. It is. It's very um, good. I, I did think it was pretty, I did think it was pretty enjoyable. Definitely. Um, I think that it's close, like it's close enough in a lot of key ways that you could watch it and really enjoy it. And I think it's enjoyable on its own. I wouldn't watch it instead of reading the book if you're going to yeah. have a test on it. No. <laughs> if you're a high school student listening to this podcast, Listen this, to professor, about the book. Yeah. <laughs> this professor is telling you, don't just watch this version of the movie because there's some key parts that your professor that your teacher might probably ask you about uh, that you wouldn't want to make a mistake on. Yeah. But um I don't know. The feeling of it is good. The it definitely adds to what we were saying when we talked about the book of that feeling um, of, of reading the book and being like, ooh, there's some juicy stuff here. Mm -hmm. There's some juicy stuff in the movie. Um, so, plus, if anyone's a Baz Luhrmann fan, I think they would also like this. Again, the visuals, the visuals. Yeah, I really liked it. I thought it was really good. It was a good adaptation. That's all we have for you all in this episode. And Jess, anything you want to shout out? I just think it's super awesome to have the opportunity to reread some classics with someone new reading the classics and watching the classics for the first time. Um, I have nothing particular to shout out other than the usual, which is, you know, uh, support your local libraries, read your classics if you like them or read something else if you like them, listen to an audiobook if that's how you want to have your reading time. And, um, yeah find some enjoyment and some old stuff and talk about it with your friends absolutely join a virtual book club they're great they're absolutely fun. virtual book clubs are the best mm -hmm. all right so, yeah we'll catch you next one bye all right bye Thank you all so very much for listening to this episode of the Barely Bookish Podcast. I hope you all enjoyed this covering of The Great Gatsby and The Great Gatsby Movie with Leonardo DiCaprio. As I mentioned at the beginning, we do have a Patreon exclusive coming out on Friday. Uh, it'll be Lost in Austin featuring Amanda Fay. If you want to get some exclusive episodes and some great bonus content, please consider subscribing over on Patreon.com. Um, it's $10 a month. It helps support this podcast and you get some cool exclusives and I would really appreciate it. And you can find out about all the benefits by going to patreon.com slash barely bookish. Also, next, uh, the next book we're going to be covering is uh, Alice in Wonderland as well as Through the Looking Glass. And we will be having Leah from YA Book Chat um, on those episodes. So if you haven't listened to YA Book Chat, um, this will be a good fun little introduction to Leah and kind of how... She she functions her episodes and all those good stuff but please check her out as well because she, her episodes are a lot of fun and her podcast is really great and she's a wonderful individual also if you haven't checked out the merch store please consider checking it out uh i wear the tank top all the time which is kind of weird to wear your own logo but like i love the tank top so i do it anyways um highly recommend them but yeah that's all I've got for you guys this week. I will catch you all next week with uh, another episode. Bye!